we got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F*** that. We don't got time for that. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson. He's hey. Nick Springer. Hey. What's okay, up? you didn't really mess with it that much today. <laughs> Not too much. Well, I don't know, kind of. A little bit. Um, Jalen Todd is a Kansas Jayhawk. Nice. Maybe. I guess uh, with high school recruiting, you never know. Kid could decommit all the time. Uh, but that was a big deal. Jalen Todd is... Uh, Number one cornerback in Michigan, I believe. Is that right? I don't know. I, I know oh. he's a very highly rated recruit in Michigan. I know he is uh, top sure 500 nationally. Number one in Michigan. I know he is course. the number 12 overall player in Michigan. Uh, number eight player on the composite in Michigan overall. But corner might be number one. I don't know. Uh, top 45 corner. He becomes the number two rated recruit overall in the class for Kansas in the upcoming class. Nice. So that's exciting. The nice. other one is another corner in Austin Alexander, who they uh, just got to commit to them earlier this week. Um, I mean, the, the offer list on this, uh, like all, all the Big Ten schools, Iowa, Michigan, Michigan State, right, West Virginia, Auburn, like anybody that you could imagine, obviously a big time commit. And it just continues on the trend of everything that we've been talking about over the past yeah. few days with, well, with what Lance Lightfoot is add, doing. I think I want to add a little perspective to this, which is this is not normal. It is not normal to just get a parade of like six, seven commits in the span of like a week. Like that doesn't, that's not something that just happens for every program. So uh, that makes it a little bit more special, I think, for KU. And and obviously, you know, with the summer, one of the a couple of these guys might end up decommitting or might end up doing, you know, whatever. I mean, you don't you don't know, obviously, right? But uh, still, to have a string like this that KU has had over the past literally like six days now is is very very impressive. And I just I just wanted to kind of put some perspective on it and say this doesn't this doesn't just happen. This doesn't just happen for every for other Power Five programs. Now, obviously, I mean. For Kansas, I mean, it's not like they're just getting six, seven, five star commits, right? But like, still, but just the idea of getting, no matter what rank the commits are, no matter what, it's just, it's not common where you would get this many guys to come into the fold right away. No, no, not at all. Uh, and and more even, I guess, I don't know, praise on Jordan Peterson and Chris Simpson what they're doing. Chris Simpson establishing this Detroit pipeline. Jordan Peterson bringing in these DBs and establishing, you know, Arizona pipeline and everything and. Uh, funny enough, the two primary lead recruiters for KU on this were both of those guys. So they are both just absolutely cleaning up uh, in recruiting and everything. And now KU has 10 commits for the class of 2024. Yep. Two of them are top 500 commits. Three are top 600 commits, including the, the 500 guys. Seven are top 1,000 commits. And I, I looked back. So 24-7 sports as a site launched in 2010. Okay. Now they took over for, I, I forget the name of the previous... Uh, site that they took over for. So there are like databases that you can go back and look at recruiting rankings before then from the P but for this iteration of what the site is 2010. So that gives you almost 15 years of classes. Actually, I guess that would give you 15 years of classes um, with 2024 included to go over. And right now, 
Like, if you look at past classes, there are years where, like, 2013, KU had 37 either commitments or enrollees. So, wow. like, just the pure numbers, or, like, 32 <laughs> in 2011 is is going to make it tough to stack up for this class versus that class. Just because that class had the pure numbers of it is, is you know, it, it's just different. But if you look at it as a percentage, the percentage of players in your class that are top 1,000 commits, because... The 2011 class at Kansas had 13 top 1,000 commits. The 2010 and 2014 classes had eight top 1,000 commits. This class right now has seven of them. But when you look at it as a percentage, this class right now, 70% of their top of their recruits are top 1,000 recruits. And there's not another year where it goes above even 43%. The second best year in percentage is actually the class of 2023. So wow. now you're stacking on really high-level recruits. And then the, the previous one, you got to go back to 2011 when about 40% of their commits were top 1,000 guys. So you're not bringing on a gigantic number of recruits. Last year, you brought on 14. This year, so far, you have 10 in tow in commitments. But you're, go- you're all about the quality right now, and you're filling that in with quality transfers as well. This is a mastermind work by the KU staff, by KU football, by Lance Leipold, by Jordan Peterson, by Chris Simpson, by all these guys to put this together. And we're seeing them recruit and continue to do it. It seems like every day I come in here and say, you know, th- this is a level that we haven't seen KU be able to recruit at. Right now, their, their recruiting ranking as a team is 34th in the country. Their next best is 40th, and that was that 2011 class with 32 guys. So, like, this this is just something we're not used to seeing, and, yeah. and that is very impressive. The very thing impressive. that I always go back to with this is, again, what was sort of the... Uh, what was sort of the mantra of Lance Leipold or sort of what Lance Leipold was known for coming to KU? He was known as a program builder, as someone who can develop talent. So the fact that he is now on top of that with his coaching staff bringing in higher talent than KU's ever seen, and then on top of that, what's his strength? Developing talent. So now you're looking at it and saying, okay, well, he's already doing a great job of getting on the recruiting trail and getting in and getting in some higher-level guys than what KU has seen in the past. And then on top of that, we, we will we'll hopefully get to see over the next couple of years what he's really known for, which is developing those guys, right? So that to me is what I keep going back to. It's like he was known for for bringing in guys and developing them. Well, now he's bringing in more talented players than maybe ever he's ever seen, and he's going to have a chance to develop them. So that just makes me really excited for the future. Yeah, I mean, if he's turning two star guys into potential All Conference players, what happens when you have three and exactly. four star guys? Right? Yeah. Like, like yeah. do those turn into NFL draft picks? Do those turn into All American level players? That becomes the real question. And as you look at it, um, Oklahoma and Texas is going to be leaving soon. There is an opening for like who, which teams are going to merge at the top and be your consistent best teams. I'm not saying that's going to be Kansas, and you know it's it's been one good year of football for Kansas in the last you know 15 yeah. years or whatever. Well, so, and again, one good year by our standards, one right. average year, right? For, yeah, exactly. No, you're 100 right. Um, I mean, any other Power Five school goes six and yeah, six, it's and it's like whatever, eh, right? You know, yeah. yeah. So no, that, that's 100 right. So it'd be putting the cart before the wagon. It'd be whatever. Loading the mules before yeah. the wagon, whatever. Um, before, if you get to a point where you're like, oh, yeah, they're they're going to be one of the top teams. But the point is, the opportunity is there, and you seem to be striking it right now. And it's really exciting, especially yeah. if you can build with another strong season this year. Well, and there is going to be a power vacuum in the Big 12. Right. I mean, Texas and Oklahoma have been the two top programs in the Big 12 for forever, basically. Yeah. 
whether that's I mean not, not I'm not saying like in terms of on field what they always do because obviously you have other teams that have won the Big 12 title and things like that but in terms of in terms of prestige in terms of recruiting in terms of you know national sway those two programs have had the biggest so there's going to be there is going to be a power vacuum in the Big 12 and I'm not saying Kansas is the one that's going to fill it but they look pretty good. I mean, with the basketball program the way it is, and if you know football turns into a consistent seven, eight, nine win team each year, that looks pretty good. Yep. All right. Uh, so maybe we'll talk more about that later on in the show. I did want to also talk about KU basketball. They had their camp scrimmage yesterday, and uh, you know we, we got a chance to watch the game. We took some unofficial stats. Very, very unofficial stats. Yeah, so like Hunter Dickinson, I think, had a a game best. He had 19 points, but also just 9 of 19. Dewan Harris only had 2 points, 1 of 7, but he also had like 7 assists. Um, Let's see, Wilder Evers had 12 points. The walk-ons shot really well. KJ Adams had had 16 points on 8 of 9. He had some good rebounds, or or he only had a couple rebounds, actually. Nick Timberlake had like 7 rebounds. He had 11 points. Um, Jamari McDowell looked good. Marco Jackson looked really athletic. He had nine points from Patrick Cassidy. Uh, Marcus Adams had 12 points. He looked good. Brandon Rush and Tyshawn Taylor, he had some cool plays from from some uh, vets in there. Uh, I guess I want to start here. So um, you might notice we, we posted the, the at least the points and the, the shooting on our uh, Twitter page, at RCST1320. Um, Michael Jankovic, Justin Cross were not on there. Uh, Jankovic had a... Yeah, like, like brace on his knee. Yeah, yeah. On his, on his leg. So he had an injury, but obviously left, left having leg. something on your knee, like I don't know, that might be bad. So literally everything we talked yeah. about yesterday with Jankovic. So Bill Self, we'll see. Bill Self in his introductory said that he had an injury in practice, but he didn't clarify. No. You know, but so. again, being something on your knee, that's a little scary. Uh, then Justin Cross, he was just injured. There wasn't anything on him, but uh, maybe just going through some you know little little yeah. things here or there. Yeah. Arterio Morris was not there. Yeah. Um. I think Bill Self said that he was going through some stuff, which I like, or he was dealing with some stuff. I forget the exact way he quoted it. I don't know if this has to do with the trial that's yeah. set for him that he has to like go back home or, or go back to because obviously the trial is in Texas, so he would have to go back at that point. So I don't yeah. know if that's what I mean, it has to deal with. I would assume that there is something involved with right with because well, I think the trial itself got delayed to like August, but there's other stuff that involves the trial that you have to be present for. Yeah, I mean, listen, I don't. I'm not super familiar with the legal system. In my experiences with it, that tends to happen right. where you tend to get delays. You tend to get, you know, things like that going on, and 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 sometimes that can be a strategy. So sometimes, I mean, it could very well be that Arterio and his lawyers or whoever's representing him may be trying to intentionally delay it so that that way he can maybe play without if if it turns out to be something happened and then they could say, well, it hasn't, you know, the trial hasn't happened yet, so. You know, innocent until proven guilty type thing. So I, I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that with, in, like I said, in my in my brief experience with involving this type of stuff is that, yeah, it can, it is susceptible to a lot of delays. So I don't think that should be surprising to anyone. Uh, I mean, on one hand, you would think, if you look at it from the perspective of Arterial Morris is, didn't do anything wrong, maybe you would think that they might want to try to speed it up and get it done quicker. But that's not always the case. Sometimes it just it just varies. So I, I don't know, and obviously I'm not privy to any information regarding this particular particular situation. But uh, I just I, I I just think it's it's important to say, don't be shocked by delays or don't be like, oh well, it's delayed. What does that mean? It 
probably doesn't mean really yeah anything. this could just be something procedural uh, procedural but I, I know there were people who are asking like uh oh we know about his background why was he not there again this could just be something procedural I, I don't yeah. totally know uh, yeah. that would just be my guess um, now obviously the the game itself the try level was not off the charts like <laughs> there were a couple plays where like Hunter Dickinson might have been able if it was yeah. a real game probably grabs an offensive Hunter rebound. Dickinson was the one that I noticed the most yeah where it was like obvious that he wasn't right it was like you know he's not banging totally in the post he's not going for maybe every round just doesn't want to like get injured or something like that you saw that a couple of like maybe the guards not at times like maybe settling for three or maybe yeah. no they're um, jogging was, up the court there right? was a lot of just three-point chucking yeah exactly so it's not Which, like listen a, if bill self is not allowed to watch it that's the time to do it because yeah. he's not he can't get mad at you if you didn't see it yeah 100 percent. so like it's it's not the best takeaway from everything and it's not the perfect example of how everything was going to go but they, um, they played first to 60 and yeah. once they got into the 50s it really tightened up like you, you could saw see, the effort pick up then yes you could see both teams really really trying and in fact uh i didn't know if you wanted to talk about it but yeah. the kj adams play where uh, El Marco Jackson was looking to drive and probably dunk it to win the game, and KJ Adams just absolutely annihilated him. <laughs> yeah, to that point, El Marco Jackson had been like he wasn't making his his threes. I think he was like zero for four on threes, but he was like six for nine or six had, for ten at that point. He had, a, he had on a couple twos. dunks before. Yeah, he had a couple dunks, a couple good drives to the rim. He did have a couple like mid range like jump shots that he had. He was he was tough, and and you could see his athleticism getting himself open. He was also his athleticism was doing a good job like guarding Dewan Harris. Um, but. Yeah, so he he like blows by his guard, gets straight to the rim. Then KJ just comes over from the weak side and swats it, and the two collide like hard. He was yeah, KJ's was head collision. was above the rim. Yeah, yeah, it was a big collision. Um, and you were just glad everybody was okay. But you could see in that moment that's yeah. when because yeah, that would have won the game for the uh, I think Albarco was on the he was Crimson, on the Crimson team. team. Yeah, he was on the Crimson team, and and KJ was on the blue team. Um, but I, I think that showed like KJ Adams and El Marco might have been the two most impressive players in that game. Like yeah. El Marco only put up whatever it was, twelve or thirteen points, but it was just the pure athleticism. Because again, I don't I don't know how much you read into this guy scoring that many points or this guy hitting that many threes or this guy missing that many shots. I just viewed it as like a oh, you could see the tangible like physical skills. Yeah, what stood out to me was uh, it was clear that Dewan Harrison, KJ Adams had not lost any of their chemistry from last <laughs> season. I mean, no. he was throwing up lobs to him. They were looking really good. They were clearly, you know, synergized on the same page and whatnot. So that was that was really really, really nice to see. And and I think maybe one of the the best things that Bill Self said in his post game or afterwards, which I'm sure we'll get to on the show, is that. Uh, he said that the team with Dewan tends to do pretty well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he said it afterwards. He was like, "Because he couldn't watch the game, but yeah. I think Gary somebody, Bedore told yeah, him." Somebody asked him about Dewan Harris, or somebody. He said was something like, about it. "Dewan won," and he's like, "Well, that doesn't surprise me. Dewan usually wins these things, right?" Uh, they had a crazy. I think it was like fifty-nine to like fifty or something. Yeah, they were actually, fifty-two. Yeah. So Dewan's team, the blue team, they yeah. were down by yeah eight or nine. Yeah, and uh, came back and won. You had the KJ block, and then you had uh, Nick Timberlake like really struggled in the first. Whatever the the ninety five percent of the game for shooting the ball, I think he was one for eight from three. But he hit too um, late, and then he yeah he hits the three to tie it at fifty nine, and then he hits the three the very next possession to to win the game sixty two to fifty nine. So he ended up three of ten from three. You could see the smooth stroke from him from three three of ten from three. Like not concerned at all that he's only going to be a three point <laughs> or a thirty percent three point shooter. Like. Uh, it was just kind of a lot of, like you were saying earlier, chucking threes like both ways. Yeah, um, so definitely for me, 
the thing that I am not going to read into at all was is the shooting. Right. Is the three-point shooting. Because these these guys were clearly just, if they were open, they were chucking. It didn't matter. Even if they were semi-open, yeah. you know? Yeah. So that, that's the one thing that I'm not going to read into really at all from Right. This. And it's all like set threes. You're not really running screens to get guys even more open and stuff. But uh, it was yeah. nice to see him hit two clutch threes at the very least. Uh, beyond that, the other big takeaways for me were, I guess the walk-ons looked good, which, which maybe goes back. And that was even without Jankovic and Cross, I guess. Yeah. That goes back in the line with like this is going to be a really good walk on group. Yeah, which, was it was it Dylan Wilhite who uh, was playing defense against Hunter Dickinson? Yeah, early he was in actually the game, doing a good job like, on him defensively. Locked him down. <laughs> yes, he did. Um, which like I think will be good for for practice. Like, yeah. it's not me saying that oh they have this great walk on group. It's going to make an impact on the rotation. It's saying that that's going to actually like help hone the skills of the yeah. starters and in practice. Bill right. Self, Bill Self brought that up again too. He was talking about Patrick Cassidy and how. You know, with the walk-ons, yeah. To your point, it's not they're gonna. It's not that they're gonna get in the game, but it's that they are strong enough or have enough talent to where you can match up against them as the scout team, and it's and it's good enough to to help prep your own team, right? right. So, so a guy like Dylan Wilhite, you know, if he's gonna be the scout team big man, you know, the weekend leading into a game, that might be good enough. That you know that that's still a very very important role. And one that obviously fans don't see at all, really, when it comes to practices. But still, those are that that can still be important to the team. Yeah, for sure. And then the other big takeaway was a couple of the freshmen. We we talked yesterday. We had the KU mailbag question. We had the yep. Jamari McDowell audio. So you flip flopped. I did. So I, <laughs> or so, you're a flip flopper. Well, okay. So originally, I was on team for who's going to be the eighth man in the rotation. Who's going to grab that last rotation? You were Marcus spot. Adams. Uh, yeah, a week or two ago, Marcus Adams was the then guy. Then you flipped, and then I flipped because I I heard some stuff about Jamari McDowell. He heard Bill Self mentioning him as a shooter. We we got to talk to him, and he kept bringing up defense. And I wondered with a team that doesn't have a ton of small forwards if he would be uh, more of that fit for the team. And and to be clear, Jamari McDowell was good in the game. He hit a couple threes. Yeah. Um, like like I, I thought he he. Did did a pretty solid job, uh, but I, I watched Marcus Adams and I was like, man, this guy's just like going to be a really good player. I, I don't know how much he'll play in year one. Might only be 10, 15 minutes. I could see him being one of those players by year two, year three. He's an all Big 12 player. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, he his, had a lot of skill. Step back threes, driving, really good scorer. Yeah. And his family was there too. Yeah. Both his mom and his dad. And, and he has a younger brother who, who's going to be like a, a pretty good 2025, 20, 2026, like yeah. supposed to be a really good player. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that was cool. But yeah, I, I agree. I think Marcus Adams maybe jumped out a little bit more. Jamari McDowell wasn't bad though by any means, uh, you know. And and so it, I think it's still up for debate at this point. To be well, honest, I mean, it's very possible that Mar- like, yeah, I, I don't think it's a definitive thing. It's very possible that Marcus Adams is just better at, because he's a, a really good scorer in an open gym setting like that. But yeah. then come time when there's plays involved, yeah. scheme that that could still be Jamari McDowell. Yeah, yeah, no, that and is Parker true. Brown too. Yeah. Oh, Parker Brown wasn't there. He wasn't there. Yeah, I just realized that. Yeah. I guess he just hasn't arrived yet. Maybe. <laughs> What's he doing? I don't know. <laughs> this is a good question. <laughs> well, that's uh, our camp scrimmage uh, takeaways here. So, uh, do you remain? I, I think you said Brown one, Adams two, yes, Jamari three. But I want to be something. I want to make something clear about this. Yeah. When I say Brown one, Adams two, Jamari three, it could be like Brown with like. Seven minutes a game. Adams with like six minutes per game, and right. McDowell with like four minutes. You know, like it's it's not like there's I'm not a ton saying, of separation. Yeah, it's not like yeah. I'm saying well Parker Brown's going to play a bajillion minutes and you know whatever. Yeah. So it's it's still pretty close, but yeah, I don't know. Well, and and again, I do think early in the season Brown's going to play a lot more because of the fact that he's it. experienced. Bill Self probably knows him a little bit more. But again, once by the time you get into January, February, maybe it's Marcus Adams, maybe it's Jordan McDowell. But again, you know, remember we sat here and had very, very similar conversations last December about 
this so this same concept of well, you know, Bill Self might go to the veteran guys first, but then you know eventually MJ Rice is going to be really good and play a bunch of minutes, and that never came to fruition. So it's not a guarantee with with freshman guys. It's not a guarantee how much how well they're going to integrate in, right? I will yep. say though, there's no question that El Marco is going to be playing a good amount. Oh, for sure, I for mean, sure. Yeah, twenty plus minutes per game. All right, he's yes. Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. John Kirby going to talk KU football recruiting with us in about fifteen minutes. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. KU football has uh, created a frenzy with their latest recruiting over the last week. They had the mega visit over the weekend, and now they get all these recruits, uh, high-level recruits committing to the program here this week. So uh, I wanted to bring on John Kirby of Jayhawk Slant, and we're going to do that right now. Uh, I, I guess, John, let, let's start with the the latest at the corner position. Jalen Todd commits yesterday afternoon. Uh, Alexander, another corner, commits to KU just the the, the day before. Um, and, and now you look at this corner position, I, I guess what what – is the idea here with what they're bringing in because now they have three corners in tow in the class like is this KU's best spot uh position group wise for both current and future oh yeah it's I mean Derek the corner spots as good as I've ever seen it in, in a long time um just just when you look at the recruiting and stars and and potential on paper but I mean you know Jalen Todd goes yesterday and, and you know Derek what's crazy with this is 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 I guess this is a good problem to have and and as as college football coaches you adjust and readjust your boards but you don't do it very much okay well from everything I gather they went into the recruiting season saying hey we're we're looking to get two corners okay that's kind of the number that's set on the board well Austin Alexander from Chicago comes in and he's supposed to visit Illinois Purdue after he visits Kansas and you know the Illinois is the in-state school and everybody's thinking well he comes in he commits on the visit so now you're like okay well we're technically full I mean we've hit our quota of corners well then Jalen Todd right who everybody is he's definitely going to visit Iowa and I mean he just came off a, a great visit before KU and now he commits and then you how can we readjust our board to this in to make it work well with a guy like Jalen Todd you just you figure out how to do it but they're not going to do that much but for him you do and now they've got three corners with Andre Gibson out of Arizona I mean these guys are good all three of these guys are really good corners and it's I mean Jordan Peterson's probably grinning ear to ear right now so do you think because uh, you kind of get up against that quota like could you see them eventually moving one of these players to maybe safety no, I think what happens, Derek, is at some point they build in um, – it's kind of like a, a free money, if you will. They build in and say, okay, amount of spots open for the transfer portal. Okay, hey, if, if a lineman or two leaves and, and we don't think these guys are developed enough, we're going to have, have to go to the portal. Okay, now you've got a spot, and you probably say, hey, we want to go get a portal corner, right, somebody who's played some college football, to try to replace that. You know, you've got this board, and, and one thing Kansas does, and, and listen, Lance Leipold and, and his staff and the inside recruiting guys and everybody, they didn't get to where they were by guessing and, and playing, you know, pin the tail on a donkey or something with, with 
numbers of scholarships. They have a system where they say, this is how many tight ends we want. This is how many running backs we want on scholarship. This is how many D-line. This is how many linebackers. So they have a very good set-out system. And they don't vary from that very much because it's been successful for them, as do a lot of schools. Then you go to work and figure out how to make it happen. Well, uh, obviously, I think this becomes interesting then to that same answer about Harry Stewart, who was one of the recent commits as well, really good running back, and obviously Red Martell was already in tow for the recruiting class as well. Do you think this has any effect on that, or, or do you think they're comfortable bringing in a couple backs in the class? Well, so w- what they did there, Derek, they were taking two running backs regardless. Okay, so they went into the recruiting saying, we're going to take two. They got Martell early, all right? And then they had a, they had several guys lined up to visit. They had uh, JT Brougham from Florida, who's a speedster. They had Jamal Wiley. They had some guys that were set up to visit past Harry Stewart. I want to say they had like five guys set to visit. So bottom line is, when Harry Stewart took that spot, they were done. They got on the phone and started calling running backs and saying, guys, hey, this is the game of recruiting. We don't have a spot for you. And we're not going to be able to bring you in for your official visit. And we just wanted to call and shoot you straight. This is how it happened. So with something like that, you know, it, it, let me give you another example. Michael Boganowski, the top prospect in the state, visited last week. Okay, Right now, technically, KU, I believe, has filled up at linebacker. All right, But... If Michael Boganowski were to call and say, I want to be a Jayhawk, I'm not, I'm not betting on that. But if that were to happen, then I think they go back. This is, this is uncharacteristic for them, but I think they go back and figure, okay, how do we play with numbers? Because we're going to take Boganowski. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Uh, you, you have a set rule, but you'd be flexible in uh, kind of certain ways or another. Uh, Harrison Utley was one of the recent commits as well. He's an interior offensive lineman. Um, I've seen guard thrown out there a lot, but obviously if Mike Nowitzki's gone after this year and, you know, let's say Michael Ford slides over to center in 2024, then after that, who would the center be, I guess, long-term? Uh, I've heard good things about Utley being a, a smart, you know, player. Do you think he could profile as a future center option? You know, it's interesting because in, when you look at his film right now, he plays right tackle, okay? And w- when I talked to him, he said when he talked to Fuchs, one of the big things they talked about was he has the ability and the body style that he's probably athletic enough. I mean, because he's, you know, he's six, close to 6'4", 290 right now. So, I mean, he could be, if needed, a tackle. And he's probably got the ability, if needed, to move inside. So he's somebody that, if you look at Scott Fuchs, Derek, what he's done at KU, look at all of the jumbling that's gone on in the offensive line. I mean, they have taken, I just saw on the official roster the other day that they've taken Dominic Pooney. I don't know if people have noticed this. He's now listed purely as a tackle, okay? Dominic Pooney came to KU 100% as a guard, okay? So now he's a tackle. So one thing that Fuchs has shown that he'll do with his linemen, he will develop them and get them ready to play other positions to fit what's best for the team. That's very interesting there with Pooney after we saw him kind of play some of that tackle in the uh, spring showcase or the spring game or whatever. Um, and, and certainly uh, kind of makes you reevaluate who's going to start where on the offensive line. Uh, now, now, as far as the um, credit that's due here to the coaching staff, Chris Simpson, 
Jordan Peterson, like those continue to seemingly be the big names that uh, pop up here for lead recruiters on, on a lot of these big names that have recently committed, whether it's been the corners or some of the guys from Detroit or something. How, how much credit do those two guys, Simpson and Peterson, kind of get in all this? Well, they do, you know, and it, it, it can be it, it can be an interesting subject because Derek, K, KU recruits by position and they also recruit by area, okay? So sometimes a coach will go find a kid, right? He'll find a defensive end. Maybe the running backs coach finds a defensive end, and he brings him back to the DN's coach and says, hey, I saw this kid down in Dallas, Texas. What do you think? And then the DN's coach goes, well, I really like him. I say we offer him. And then the running backs coach kind of bridges the two coaches together, and then at some point maybe the DN's coach takes over. So sometimes it's a little bit of a teamwork situation, and then other times you know, the position guys – you know, take off and handle the recruiting. Peterson and Simpson have been phenomenal, okay? I mean, what Chris Simpson has done, um, and I don't know how many people listen to the show or the the older guys that remember Glenn Mason years, but, I mean, there were some years they were pulling in guys from Detroit back in the the 80s and the 90s that were, they were legit. I mean, they were some legit players. And that's what Chris Simpson's got going on right now. And, Derek, it's kind of like a domino effect, all right? Once you get this guy, and then you get this guy, and all of a sudden you got six, seven guys from Detroit on your roster, then these guys from Detroit, they come in and they start seeing this family of guys where they're from that love it at KU. I mean, look at Jalen Todd. His teammates, Isaiah Marshall, the quarterback who's already committed, they visit together. So you've got Isaiah Isaiah Marshall, the quarterback, helping to sell Jalen Todd. There's a photo we, we put out on Twitter it's Chris Simpson and like the seven guys from Detroit, including the visitors, who are all together. And, you know, once Simpson gets that thing rolling, those kids talk and they talk about their experience at KU and it becomes an easier sell. Now it's it's tough in the beginning because Simpson started this before they went to a bowl game. So he he definitely gets a lot of credit and, and Jordan Peterson's done a great job. He goes down to Arizona, all right, May of twenty two. He flies into Arizona for the first time. Never recruited a guy there. KU never had a presence there. Now, next week, they're bringing in three legit visitors from there. Could be a fourth if they bring in this offensive lineman. Two of them are already committed. So Peterson's gone to Arizona and and really turned some quick work. You know, he did it with Austin Alexander. Uh, We just talked about him, the corner out of Chicago. So those two guys have done great. But, two, there's some stuff behind the scenes where there's some other coaches – you know, doing some work as well. Is this on pace? I mean, obviously they won't get the same numbers. Like we, we've seen them take closer to 15 guys per high school class. Um, and, and you look back and there's some classes, you know, back in the days where Kansas might be taking on 25, 30 kids. So just by the pure quantity of it, I, I know it won't surpass what some of those did. But just in terms of the, the quality of player per commit, is this on pace to be one of the best classes that the KU has ever had in the recruiting rankings era? Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, Derek, I started this in 1999. So this is my 24th year of following KU recruiting um, on paper. And by quality of each recruit, there's no doubt. And, I mean, they're, e- even if they don't get some of these guys, the fact they were able to get some of these guys in to visit is, is phenomenal. I mean, right now you've got Nick Marsh on campus, okay? M- Marsh is, God, I can't remember what he is nationally, but he's a four-star wide receiver. And I mean, he could go anywhere in the country. 
Okay, they've got Xavier Porter, a four-star defensive lineman from Florida who's on campus. He just visited Penn State. I mean, Derek, when's the last time you think you ever heard a kid visit Penn State and then tell Penn State, hey, guys, I'll let you know what I'm doing after I take my visit to Kansas. So, I mean, I mean, you know, there, there's things going on right now that we really haven't seen in a long time covering KU football recruiting. Oh, well, you mentioned Marsh there, Marsh there, so I'm just going to follow up on that. Do you think they have a real shot at landing him? Hey, this is what I say. They absolutely do. Because what I'm not going to do now is I'm not going to predict that they won't get a kid. Because I said when Austin Alexander came in, he had three Big Ten visits set after KU. Okay, He's a Big Ten kid from Illinois. I told everybody he is absolutely going to at least take a couple of these visits. He goes in, he commits to KU, he gets home that night and cancels all of his visits. That shocked me. Jalen Todd. I would have said Jalen Todd is absolutely taking more visits. I would bet my next month's mortgage on it. And he, he committed and has canceled his visits. So I'm the, I would sit here and tell you Nick Marsh is going to be a tough guy to get. But at this point, I'm, I'm starting to learn a little bit not to bet against these guys. Yeah. Uh, at this point in time, are, are there any certain positions that you think make most sense for them to continue to target in the class of 2024? Yeah, I would say the biggest spots right now are probably offensive line and defensive line. And, um, you know, you got Harrison Utley, and I think that, you know, Fuchs is going to get three total high school offensive linemen, so he's still got a couple spots to fill. He's got um, he's got a visitor in this week, uh, Kene Anene, who's an offensive lineman. He's in, and then he's got David Abajian, who's from California, who's another interesting guy because he's already visited Oregon State and Cal. Okay, Those are West Coast schools. He's a California kid, Pac-12. But he came in for an unofficial visit in April, and he's coming back out for a visit now. Well, conventional thinking tells you it's going to be hard to get this kid from the West Coast, but if he's taken that return trip to Kansas after he's already taken these other two visits – I think they're in play there. And then defensive line, I still think they're going to look at two defensive ends and one inside guy. So we'll just kind of have to see how that all develops. We're talking with John Kirby here of Jayhawk Slant. Uh, I, I guess at this point, beyond the high school recruiting, do you think they're done in the transfer portal uh, adding anybody for, for this upcoming season? Yeah, I think they're done now. I Derek, once the, once the portal closed, they were looking for a D, D end, one or two. And once that thing shut down, I mean, they can always keep their eye open. I'm sure there's one spot to give if they really saw somebody. But I just don't know how many kids are going to enter that portal right now. I, I mean, you, you, you can still get a waiver, you know, if you do that and try to apply for one. Or if you're a grad transfer, you can enter. I just think the odds are starting to get really low that someone would enter that they're going to go after right now. And uh, I guess finishing things up here, how important is this upcoming season for KU to keep these guys in tow? Like, like how uh, pivotal is it for them to continue to build where they're going and, and maybe make a bowl game and, and be competitive to uh, keep the arrow moving forward and, and keep all these guys committed? Yeah, you know, I think it's important, but but I also think it's important, Derek, just too that, that you stay on the guys and keep building your relationships even after you committed because we're we live in a world of decommitment now. I mean, you know, shoot, I mean, all these guys you see committing now in June, June's the new December now. Everybody takes their visits in June, okay, but there's a new rule that comes in starting after July one. 
recruits now get unlimited official visits. Why well, I think I think it's a terrible rule. All right, so you can have a lot of these kids who are taking their visits, they're committing, they're getting done before their senior years. Okay, they're getting it out. They don't have, they don't have to deal with recruiting. And then when their years are over, if they decide to start firing recruiting back up, they can take as many visits as they want. Okay, but with this new rule. So my point is, you've got to keep recruiting. You've got to keep staying on your guys. And, you know, Kansas, I think a lot of what you're seeing now is the relationships they build with players. But number two, I think the success that we saw from last season and a lot of publicity that the football program got, you know, being on game day and the great start they had. You know, Lance Leipold's name was mentioned everywhere for all kinds of stuff. His name was all over the TV last year. So that's a huge part. So success does play into it. But, But I say this, it doesn't matter. You have got to keep recruiting these kids with these new rules because once once November, December hits and these guys' high school season's in, they can just open up their recruiting in a snap of a finger. He is John Kirby. You can check out all his work with Jayhawk Slant. John, I appreciate the time as always, man, and have a good rest of your week. All right, Derek. Thanks for having me. That was John Kirby of Jayhawk Slant joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go. We're going to head into the transfer portal uh, maybe for the final time. Who knows? We'll see if uh, other names start to emerge at some point for uh, KU basketball if they are just content with what they have or if they do want to add anybody else. Uh, We also have a fun basketball draft of food mascots. We'll have our Jayhawk football rewind in the 5 o'clock hours and Bill Self audio later in the show as well. This is RCST with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Back for more in a GIF right here on KLWN. Depend on it. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Four o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Uh, coming up in the five o'clock hour, we'll get to our Jayhawk Rewind KU Houston game. We've got a draft upcoming. We're going to be doing a uh, food mascot draft into uh, basketball teams. But at this point in time, it's time to get into the transfer portal. There is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to the average basketball fan. It is a dimension as large as Wilt and as timeless as Perry Ellis. It is the middle ground between staying and leaving, between wins and losses, and it lies between the pit of recruiting and entrance to the NBA. This is the dimension of new schools. It is an area which we call the transfer portal. All right, into the transfer portal we go, and uh, is is KU done? Are they done with the roster? Are they going to add anybody else? Are they cool at 10 scholarships? Well, we're going to find out. Bill Self actually spoke to the media yesterday after one of the camp scrimmages. This is one of the things he had to say about the roster, where it's at. Some situations you can have too much. Um, some situations you can have not enough. And if you're ever going to have one of the two, you want more than, more than not enough. But, but um, I, I actually like where we're at from a, from a roster standpoint. We may have but, but uh, I like where we're at because I think everybody uh, 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 could be content at least maybe not with the actual number of minutes, but at least the role of the play, uh, considering we have less guys on our team. Okay. So audio wasn't great there. We, you know, There's stuff going on in the, the camp setting and everything. But basically what he said to kind of reiterate is that they're comfortable being at 10 if they have to be. And... 
Um, they might add someone. They might not. Bill Self says he'd kind of prefer typically to have too many guys than not enough guys. So that, again, leans into the idea that they would want to add someone else just in case of injury. And it's never a bad thing to have more talent on your team. It's never a bad thing to have uh, more, I don't know, insurance in case of injury on your team. But at the same point in time, he said that he liked how there is kind of good role allocation and that everybody on the team, whether they're going to play or whether or not, there is a kind of clear defined role of exactly what you would be doing now. Whereas if you add another good player, if you add another possible impact player, where exactly are they going to fit into the discussion here? Um, so I, it's kind of an open-ended answer about the idea that it almost sounds like if the perfect scenario, if a good scenario, if there's a good player that's interested in coming here, uh, for the right situation, whether that means an NIL thing, right? They could have used a lot of their NIL spendings on other players like Hunter Dickinson bringing Kevin McCuller back, and they might not have as much to go out and land kind of a uh, big fish. Or it could be something to do with role allocation, right? Like maybe they're looking for the exact type of player that's willing to come in and kind of be like a Jalen Coleman lands role where he comes in and yeah, maybe in a certain game he might play 20 minutes a game if he's hot from three or if there's an injury or something. But for the most part, he's going to be maybe your eighth man and, and maybe some games he might not even play or maybe some games he might only play five, ten minutes per game that you find the right guy to fit into the system without kind of upsetting the ecosystem. Um, obviously, updates from around the country. The top three recruits that the KU was kind of going after in the transfer portal or at least at one point had reported interest before Kevin McCuller decided to return. Zion Pullen, Arthur Kaluma, Grant Nelson, they're all off the board now. Pullen picked Florida. Uh, Florida could have a pretty good team. Arthur Kaluma picked Kansas State, which um, that makes them pretty formidable this upcoming season when you add in Tomlin and Tyler Perry. Grant Nelson picked Alabama. Nelson was the one that I was kind of in on and, and the idea that you could still kind of make it work from that standpoint. He becomes a very key player and a critical player for an Alabama team that lost a lot in the front court. Basically, that leaves you without your, I don't know, the top three options that were available. But going back to those two ways of looking at it where KU is kind of in a point where they can be like, yeah, if we just end up with 10, we end up with 10. But if the right situation arises, we will strike on it. And it doesn't seem as if those three guys would have fit into that. Like maybe in the case of any of those three, they were looking for big NIL paydays, right? Or maybe in any of those three, they were looking for, you know, a, a starting role to play 30 minutes per game. And realistically for Kansas, you can still make some of the minute stuff work that you could bring somebody in and, and probably still get them 20 to 25 minutes per game. Like you, you can fit some of that stuff in, but it's going to be a little bit more difficult and it would be even more beneficial if you could get someone who's fine playing only 10 to 15 minutes per game because it just makes everything a little bit easier right now. Uh, elsewhere across the country in the transfer portal, you saw Connor Vanover pick Missouri. Uh, you'll have the Vanover versus Dickinson matchup this year against the seven foot four guy who can shoot threes. Oliver and Kamwa looked like he was going to go to the Big 12 and then all of a sudden last minute decided to go to Michigan. I guess we wait and see the battle of the admissions because that's been kind of the big thing with the Michigan transfers. They get them and then they don't because they can't get in admissions-wise with some of the uh, transfer stuff. So we'll wait and see there. Who knows if that would be a name that would pop back up. But it didn't seem like Kansas was that interested to begin with. Uh, what about the category of actual KU reported interest? I guess first, who is still out there? Uh, Adrame Diangu, that's someone who KU recruited at the high school level, ended up going to Washington State, spent the year there, played... Uh, kind of a more minuscule amount of minutes. He was more of a developmental big man. Of course, they did have a really good big man starter in front of him, so there was reason why. 
he'd be the type of player you bring in, would be a developmental big. You wouldn't maybe have to play him as much in year one. He would be using his free transfer right away. So in theory, you would uh, be basically more likely to hold on to him for a longer period of time to try to develop him for a longer period of time, which would be beneficial to you. Um, but it doesn't seem like that's the route that Kansas might want to go. I think after Parker Brown, they might be content with the big man spot. And who knows? Maybe from Diongu's perspective, he doesn't want to come to a situation with Hunter Dickinson. Maybe he doesn't want to come, especially because they already brought in kind of that, that extra big man, that emergency big man with Parker Brown. The interesting one out there right now is Paul Mulcahy. There was some reported interest, I think, from Adam Zagoria um, about Mulcahy and KU, along with a list of a lot of other schools. Mulcahy is a six foot six, two hundred and ten pound guard from New Jersey. He played his last four years at Rutgers. Uh, went from being kind of a, a bench role player to being a, a part time starter to then the last two years being the team's primary point guard. And he went in year one and year two from being more of like a, you know, an off guard, an extra ball handler who could play on the wing to being that primary point guard at six foot six, six foot seven. Experienced guy, 121 games played, 81 games started. He uh, last two years has averaged nine and 8.3 points, respectively. About five, five and a half assists per game, over a steal per game, over 70% at the foul line, 35% and above from three point range on limited attempts. He's just been like a solid player for a Rutgers team that has just kind of been that. They've been solid. They had one of the top 10 defenses in the country last year. They were a team that was a bubble team, ended up not making the NCAA tournament. Um, I think they said they were going to sue the NCAA. I don't know. I haven't caught up on, on where that at's lately. Uh, but then, you know, he's also been part of teams for Rutgers that have made the NCAA tournament. I think the year before, they were in the first four. year before that, they almost beat Houston in the second round. That Houston team ended up making it all the way to the final four. So he's been a part of some winning basketball at Rutgers. And again, going back to the idea, Rutgers was a top 10 defense last year. I think they finished sixth on Ken Palm in adjusted defensive efficiency. This guy is in that regard known as being a good defender. Um, you look at his synergy profile, it more views him as like an average, below average defender. But the fact you were on a team that was that good defensively um, maybe leans toward the alternative. Now, maybe at 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, you're better guarding twos and threes and, and you had time strug struggling against like smaller ones. That, that could be a part of it. But he's a good passer, not really a big scorer. He can hit open threes for you. Uh, good spot-up three-point shooter, but he doesn't take a ton of three-point shots. A pretty good rebounder, pretty good defender, again, based on the reputation there, maybe not the synergy profile. Where he would make some sense, I I think it would make some sense for KU if you viewed him as a six foot six, six foot seven wing. The problem is that he just played at Rutgers as a point guard. And is he going to want to go to his next school and be a primary ball handler, or at least a secondary ball handler, where he's more of a one and two? Kansas is at a point in the transfer portal where they don't really have as much leeway for minutes at the one and the two you can carve out minutes at the three four and five i think well maybe not even the five the three and four you can at least carve out some minutes there could you play mulcahy at the three and now play more of kevin mcculler at the four get kj adams minutes four and five and you're still able to get arterio el marco and dewan minutes at the one and two and timberlake a combination of minutes at the two and three yeah yeah absolutely could I, I will say, if you add another transfer, we've been talking a lot about who's going to win that last rotation spot, that eighth rotation spot. Could it be Parker Brown? Could it be uh, Jamari McDowell? Could it be Marcus Adams? 
Well, if you add another transfer, for instance, Paul Mulcahy, that question probably goes out the window and it becomes more of that transfer you just added would be part of the eight. And then those other three guys would be kind of your emergency or reserve level players. But if he's willing to play the three or the four, you can make it work. Problem is, I don't know based on his past experience, and he's only 210 pounds, not really a four. He'd be more of that four or three man, maybe a bit of a two, and that becomes a bit of a problem for KU. So uh, it'd be an interesting, versatile fit, but I do think he's a good player and and could certainly help impact things for KU. On to the uh, next category, which is the hmm category. Jordan Brown entered the transfer portal. And this is like his bajillionth time entering the portal. He started his career as a five-star recruit, went to Nevada. Then he transferred to Arizona, redshirted his first year, played in year two at Arizona. Then he transferred from Arizona to Louisiana, where he spent the last two years. And now this will be his sixth year of college basketball because of the COVID year and because of a sit-out year. He averaged 19 points, almost nine rebounds per game last year for a Louisiana team that played Tennessee in the first round of the NCAA tournament as a 13 seed. He was a really good player. And again, former five-star recruit. So, you know, he's got that prospect pedigree, six foot 11, that he can play well against, you know, higher major teams. Um, The problem here is that there ain't no way that you're going to convince Jordan Brown to be like, hey, you want to come to Kansas and sit behind Hunter Dickinson and maybe play 10 to 12 minutes a night? He ain't going to do that. So uh, just interesting by him being in the portal, but not someone I would expect. Uh, here's a name that I'm just going to throw out there, not necessarily one that I expect to happen, but Cruz Parat Hunt. He is a transfer technically from South Dakota, originally from New Zealand. He technically left the program to pursue overseas basketball opportunities. He was an all-Summit League pick in 2021-22. to 22. He uh, didn't have quite as good of a season this year. In some regards, he actually had a better season, like shot better from three, but the rebound numbers, the assist numbers, the... Uh, points per game numbers were a little bit down from the year before, so he didn't end up all Summit League this year. And again, the idea there is for him to play overseas, but I have not seen since he he talked about going to play overseas at the end of like March, beginning of April, him sign with anyone. So maybe that is a possibility that you could convince this kid to come back to college, get a bit of an NIL payday, and be a grad transfer. He, he played four years in South Dakota. His last two years, about 15 points per game. Um, as a junior, he shot 39% from three. As a senior, shot 42% from three. For his career, he's at 40% from three on three and a half tries per game. That might be the perfect player that if you could convince him to join the fold. But again, it seems like maybe he just wants to go back home overseas and play professional basketball in New Zealand. So I don't know. And then the last one, this is a name again I haven't really heard connected with KU, but on the hmm column because it's interesting. Deshondre Washington He is a uh, transfer from New Mexico State. Uh, Began his career at the JUCO level. This will actually be whatever school he winds up at next will be his fourth school in four years. Went to South Suburban College in Illinois, Northwest Florida State College year after that, then New Mexico State where he uh, played over 33 minutes per game, kind of a jack of all trades, 12 points per game, seven rebounds, almost four assists, one and a half steals per game. Uh, Not a great three-point shooter, but shoots it well enough, 33%. Um, he's a six foot seven wing. You can play him at three or four. He would give you more insurance along the wing where you don't have a ton of bodies and a ton of depth there. But is he going to want to go somewhere and, and be a star? Is he going to want to want to go somewhere and, you know, start a bunch of games? Then that would not be the case at KU. But he is someone that uh, I did find interesting. The last part of this is just any other possible grad transfers. You know, right now there is no deadline for the grad transfers with the original transfers, the, the you know, non-grad transfers. 
they have by a certain date, which is obviously already come and gone. It is passed that they have to enter to be eligible right away. Grad transfers can enter whenever. And part of what makes this even more sticky is that to be a grad transfer, you have to graduate, obviously. And there are certain kids who maybe have not graduated yet and were planning to come back for another year of college basketball. And so they were going to use that last year to graduate. But then they want to transfer. So then what ends up happening is they take multiple classes over the summer semester so that they can graduate and then join a team, say, in August. Um, so there are certain players where that could be the case. So, like, you know, one that I, I don't know if this is the case or not, but Antonio Reeves, the Kentucky player who entered the draft process, then decided to come back and said he wasn't sure if he was going to enter the portal or if he was going to go back to Kentucky like, he could just be taking more college classes to try to make it so that he can be a grad transfer. Because he already transferred into Kentucky from, uh, I think, Illinois State. So he might have to grad transfer to be immediately eligible. Like, maybe there are certain players who are still going through classes. Or maybe there are certain players who are still in school if if they were on the, uh, instead of the, uh, the semester system, the... Uh, I think there's certain like West Coast schools that do like the trimester system and it's just a different calendar. They start later, they get out later. So there could be certain players that haven't even entered the portal yet as grad transfers, whether it's them trying to graduate or they just haven't decided if they want to transfer or not that could be out there, that those might be the names that make the most sense because with Diangu, it feels like something would have happened by now. With Mulcahy, I just don't know about the fit with him being more of a point guard at Rutgers last year. With all those last three guys I mentioned, like Brown's not going to come up to be the backup center. Brought Hunt. He just might want to play overseas. Chandra Washington might want a bigger role. So uh, I feel like if there is a name that's going to make it to number 11 for scholarship players for KU, probably a name that we haven't heard being in the portal just yet. All right, that is uh, into the transfer portal. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, klwn.com, and the KLWN app. We'll have our uh, fun draft coming up later in this hour. But coming up next, the KU women's basketball team has some new assistant coaches, and the KU Wichita State game is official. We'll discuss on the other side. Welcome back in. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. And we are that time of the offseason where we're going to start just drafting things. Um, And we have basketball drafts, football drafts that we're going to be doing. Who doesn't love a good draft? Yeah, exactly. So what we're going to be doing today, we're going to be doing a basketball draft of food mascots. Okay. So originally this was just fast food, but we've expanded it to food in general. Correct. So So I do have a question. What? Because I, I, as I was building my draft board, there were a couple that came up that were drinks. Drinks are not accepted. Drinks are not think. accepted. Okay. Can I get an example of a drink? Um, like the Kool Aid Man. No, not acceptable. Okay. Like he, he would have been a, a possible center, right? Like not acceptable. Just having the giant Kool Aid Man. I'm trying to think what else uh, would apply for uh, the drink ones. Oh, the Coca Cola <laughs> like polar bears. Not acceptable. another big in there. Like nope. Maybe that could happen. I had the. Uh, See, I, I guess technically this is a drink, even though it's a powder, it could, or it could be the Nesquik Bunny. Nope. Like I thought also that would have been accessible. a good one, but okay, that's nope. off the, the off the list too. That's okay, off so the list. This is uh, having last second effects on my <laughs> draft board, but that's okay. Um, so what we're gonna do? We're gonna each draft five players. So you have your starting five. You can draft whatever positions you want. You can build a team of four guards around a big man. You can build a team with two big men. You can build a team that's clunky and has too many big men. Whatever you want to do, you can put your team together however you want. You will draft one of these and say what position they are. You can, you know, adjust later in the draft if you're like, ah, I think I'll play them on the wing or now there'll be a four, whatever. And you'll draft one head coach as well. So head okay. coach and a team of five. Head coach, team of five. Yes. Uh, this will be a serpentine draft. So it'll go back and forth. 
I will give you the call. We have a uh, quarter here. Okay. This is this a is live in Salt studio. River Bay the... 2020 quarter. Would you like I, heads or tails? Uh, uh, tails never fails. It did not fail this time uh, either. Okay, nice. So you have the choice. Do you want to nice. go first or do you want to go second? So, uh, so if I go first, then you get two picks after me. Correct. Right? Actually, I think I want you to go first. Okay. You want me to rip the Band-Aid off? Yes. Okay. It's because I'll get two picks next, so. Okay, so I have a, uh, well, I sort of have a clear number one, but I think there's a good counter with it. So okay. I'm not going to do that just yet. Um, I am going to You've, like, prepared a whole board. I'm I'm just going to be going off, off the vibes. Okay, that's fine. I am going, my first pick is going to be Chester Cheetah, mm. which I learned, I always thought it was Chester Cheeto because it, you know. No, he's a cheetah, though. Yeah, he okay, is, so though, but I thought it was just for so I'm the assuming product. he's going to be a guard. He's going to be Yeah, so I'm going to have guards. him probably more as like a, a wing type of guard because I How think he's, he? he's a bit tall? taller uh, than some of the other okay. guys I'm looking at the guard position. He's obviously going to be very fast. He is yes. a cheetah, yes. right? So he's got a lot of speed. So you got some good speed on the floor. He's going to be, yeah, exactly. Um, so I'll, I'll put Chester Cheetah. Right now I'm thinking of him as like a two guard, maybe a three, but we'll, we'll see how the rest of the draft goes. So you have back to okay. back picks. With my first pick, I am going to pick the Hamburglar. Okay. okay. As my guard. Probably point guard. Mm-hmm. Listen, he's a burglar. He's great at stealing. Yes. He's going to steal lots of stuff. I had so him he's on gonna my be, draft board as uh, one of my highest guys as well. Yes. So he's going to be my, he's going to be my, probably my point guard, mm-hmm. honestly. My defensive point guard, Dwan Harris type. Sure. Great Patrick at stealing. Beverly, yep. Uh, yep. Elite defender, locking Gary down. Payton. Yep. Yep. So that's my first pick. My second pick, I'm going to pick Tony the Tiger mm-hmm. as my second pick. And he's going to be my power forward. He's going to be my, he's going to be my 6'8. Tiger guy. Is that what he's forward. listed at? I, that's just, I don't know. That's just You're what just I think going he is. With it? <laughs> that's just what I think he is. So he's <laughs> so I've right. got the hamburger is my point guard. Tony the Tiger is going to be my uh he's I'm gonna play him at the four. Yes, I don't I, know. I because th- he's got pretty big size. I, right? well, I, I mean, actually I, I listed him. I, I did my draft board in position. So I have like guards. Yeah. I have power what did you, forwards what did you on list there. Him as? I had him as my number one power forward. Okay, th- so there you go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he's 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 gonna be He's going to be tough to stop. I mean, he's got, you know, he's a big, strong guy. Mm-hmm. He's got tons of muscles. He can talk trash. Great player. Great okay. addition to my team. I like that. I like that. I think there is the most depth at the center position. So I might wait on that right here. Um, okay, do I take the... So here's what I'm thinking about. The Lucky Charms Leprechaun. He is lucky. That means he's got to be a great <laughs> three-point shooter, right? Maybe, but what? How much? I mean, his size has to inhibit him, right? Sure, but he can be my my scrappy little point guard that gets good luck. But see, my thought with the luck, lucky leprechaun is that would be a great sixth man. Is he really great as a starter? Maybe. Like, is he gonna? If you're gonna play him 28 minutes a he's game, he's lucky. He's lucky. Yeah, but he's got the size. I problem. have all the luck on my side. If there's a deflected ball, <laughs> if there's a loose ball, I'm getting it. He's got the size problem though. You know, what? I'm taking him. I don't care. Um, wow. Okay. Lucky the lucky the leprechaun because uh, think about it. That means I'm getting all the loose balls. That's gonna add up. That means um, I any like weird rolls on the basket. Like it's going in for me. It's going out for you. I have all the luck on my side, and I think you're discounting how important that is in a okay. basketball game. Okay. Okay. Uh, and then my next pick, I'm gonna go with. So wait, is Lucky gonna be like your point guard? Most likely. Okay. Yes. Uh, my next pick, I'm gonna go with the center. Okay. And that would be the Jolly Green Giant. Uh, the from green the giant. green beans? Yes, from okay. the green beans. I have a question about the green, because the Jolly Green Giant was near the top of my list as well. Yes. But I have a question. Okay. He is a mascot for green beans. So when they say that he's a giant, what if, are we, do we, are we sure that that's like in proportion to like us, or is he a giant to like green beans? Because he might actually be small. I was thinking about this. Mm. His name is the Jolly Green Giant, but we don't know... 
Hey, we don't know what giant. I think you're just trying to discount my draft pick. No, I'm not. I was thinking thinking about taking him. Dude, I'm looking at pictures of him right now. I mean, he's a giant on the can, but next to the green beans, he doesn't look that big. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, but uh, apparently. So how can you be sure that he's a giant? What if he? What if he? What if he's actually like a foot tall? Because they're not going to make the can fifty feet tall. There's there's actually a statue of the Jolly Green Giant. Uh, I don't know where it is. Because listen, I was thinking about taking it's the in Jolly Green Giant as my center too, but no, have, I didn't know they have the Jolly Green Giant a, a statue in Minnesota. It's fifty five feet tall. <laughs> So good luck scoring on my 55-foot-tall big man. And I'll be honest, I might play too big basketball. He might not even be my center. But we'll get there when we get there. What's okay. your next pick? This is My next pick is a guy that I thought you were going to take, so mm-hmm. I'm a bit surprised. Uh, for my center to counter the Jolly Green Giant, Grimace. Okay. From McDonald's. So he was actually he third on wide. my center list. He is a wide, wide behemoth. You're not going to be able to back him down in the post. You're going to have to find a way to score over him. Mm-hmm. He's like, but listen... Grimace is like he's probably like what six nine maybe yeah, so he's not tall. It's it's the ultimate not, matchup of strength versus yes, length or just fat versus length. Yeah, because like Jolly Green Giant, he might get back down in the post by Grimace, yes, but he yes. he might be able to score over him. Yes, like, I have the yes, length. Yes, so I'm taking Grimace for my center. I mm-hmm. feel pretty confident. I'll be honest about though, I pick. think the Jolly Green Giant's gonna end up playing the power forward for me. Really? Because I have another center on my okay, list. Okay, well he has no chance against Tony the Tiger. Yeah. Okay, for my next pick, I'm torn between a couple different guys. Okay, I think this guy's probably going to play the three for me. Mm, I'm really torn here. I'm going to go with the Colonel from KFC Mm. as my three man. Wow, I had him listed as a head coach. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's actually a good point, actually. Can I change my pick, actually? I changed my mind. I'm gonna go with the well. The other guy I was gonna pick might be a good head coach too. Actually, this is shady. You think I should stick with him? I I'll think you can him. keep the colonel, but I will allow you to move him to head coach if you want. Uh, sure. Why not? Okay. Screw it. So, because okay. I had, I had, I have actually a couple different guys at the three man that I was that I was looking at. So yeah. I'll, I'll put well, him I, I think the colonel's a good coach because a, a he's older. He's a general. He's, yeah. he's a general. He's literally he knows a general. How to command people, and also he's from Kentucky. Kentucky basketball. Like he, oh, he probably point. is a big basketball fan, yeah. right? No, yeah, okay, yeah. So I like I actually like that. Well, in my mind, I was thinking of him as like the floor general. Like he's on the floor uh, I see. and he can like too old, be the though. facilitator. Yeah. You know? But I like head, head coach actually makes more sense. So I'm glad you brought that up. So I'll move into my head coach. So I still have Hamburger as my point guard, Tony the Tiger is my four, Grimace is my five. Yes. Okay, so now I have back to back picks. I guess I can wait on head coach. I was planning on taking one here. I guess I'll go with my my other big man. This is gonna be my center. Okay. This, I think, is the steal of the draft. Really? I knew I could wait for him. Honestly, in terms of value, I could have taken this guy in the first round and been fine with it, but I didn't think you would think about this one. I, have, so I, I mean, totally clearly fine. I have it. This is a cereal box, right? That applies, right? I can do cereal box. That's food. Uh, Yeah, Okay. that's fine, cereal. Uh, do you know what the Raisin Bran mascot is? Isn't it like a giant flake? It's a giant sun. It's a giant sun <laughs> with two scoops of Raisin Bran. I now have a giant sun playing center for me Wait. with an actual giant playing power forward. Wait, what? Ah, man. No, I would have never thought of that. I would have never thought of that. Because first of all, does he have legs? How's he going to... No, he just floats. He's a sun. <laughs> He's a sun. You get near him, you die. So what are you going to do about that? Now, it might be a problem in my team locker room well, well, because teammates can't hang out with him. <laughs> You know, yeah, well, the other thing is like you can't look directly at him. <laughs> so 
So like, how are you supposed that to guard you him? more than us? Because yeah, you can't guard. How do you? How are you supposed to pass to it to him if you can't see him? Well, you can do no look passes. He's a son. You just throw it up. He catches it. <laughs> I, I think I have won this draft already just by having the Jolly Green Giant, mm. the, the Raisin Brand son. Yeah. So good luck for for you. I don't know. Here. I still feel pretty confident in Grimace and Tony the Tiger down low. <laughs> okay. Just getting completely okay. outsized. I do have another pick here. Okay. Um. So I do need kind of another guard, probably a shooter, because I don't really have enough shooting. I think Lucky the Leprechaun could shoot. I think yeah, Chester I'm honestly, Cheetah. I'm honestly nervous about my shooting, too, because I don't think Hamburglar is a great shooter. Yeah, I think Chester Cheetah is going to be more of like an athletic guard, like a wing type, like not yeah. a good shooter, but good driver to the rim. Yeah. So who is going to be a good shooter for me? Okay, I'm going to go a little off the uh, beaten path on this one. I'm going to go with Lefty. Lefty is the, the Hamburger Helper little oven mitt. There's <laughs> oh, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I know what you're talking about. There's yeah. actually two different oven mitts in the, the, the food world. There's the Arby's oven mitt, which I believe is a right-handed, and okay. then there's Lefty, which is the Hamburger Helper one. I want the Lefty one because Lefty shooting strokes are just more pure. They look okay. better. So yeah. I think he's going to be a better shooter. I need some shooting in there. Give me Lefty at the uh, shooting guard position. Okay. All right, so I still need a three-man, and I still need a, I, I need a shooting guard. I need someone who can shoot also. Um... So you're done with players. So now yeah. I can just kind of think out loud here and brainstorm. Yes. What do you? What type of shooter do you think Mr. Peanut is? <laughs> I, I had him in my coach category. <laughs> okay. But I guess you could convince yourself he has the monocle that that allows him Maybe to like that hone in. Maybe that lets him shoot better. Maybe. Uh, I'm looking at Mr. Peanut. Um, I also, okay, from Jack in the Box, Jack yeah, Box. He has actual is, hands. Yes. So that's helpful. Wait, Mr. Peanut has hands. Yeah, I guess so. What? What? Well, no, just some of these mascots don't have, like, oh, real hands. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, no, I know like Tony mean. the Tiger has tiger paws, right? Like, that might not I know be well mean. shooting the ball. Uh, if we're looking at cereals, which you already took a cereal guy, what about the Trix Rabbit? He might be a decent shooter. Yeah, or he could, could have be a good, good speed. jumper. Yeah. Oh, right? true. I didn't even think about he that. He could be a good wing. Yeah, he could be a good wing. Match him up okay. with uh, Chester Cheetah. I think that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pick Trix, the Trix Rabbit. He'll be my three. Maybe, he, but he'll be kind of a smaller three, at like six four. But again, know, he's three, got the great hops. But he's got the great hops. Obviously, he's a. I mean, he's a rabbit. I yeah. Mean, what what more do I need to say about his jumping ability? <laughs> other than he's a rabbit. Okay. Now, does it concern you at all that with the tricks rabbit, he always gets caught by kids? So he's clearly not that athletic if he's getting caught by children. But he can jump high. Well, why is he not using it to get away from the children with the I'm, cereal? I'm you know, not tricks are for kids. I'm not 100 right? sure. <laughs> Okay, I'm actually kind of mad I took the Colonel as my coach because I'm going through and <laughs> there's, there's a lot a, of good coaches. There's a lot of good coaching options. Like, dude, the Quaker Oats guy would be a uh, great yeah, coach. That's a good one. I, I have a good one for a uh, coach. Um, <laughs> right, we'll we'll get into well, some honorable got, mentions. I still too. But yeah, go here. for it. Go for it. All right. So I need a I need a shooting guard. Which I don't know how many you know shooters mm, there are. I know. I mean, Mr. Peanut. What do you think about the uh, okay? You know, you know the brand Vlasic. It's yeah. the pickle brand. The stork. I had that as a possible center. The stork. Just because it was tall and lengthy. The pickles. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's true. He'd probably be better. He'd know. probably be a better four man. I just it doesn't have hands, so I don't know how it's gonna shoot. <laughs> it's a stork. Okay, what about the Keebler cookies little thing? Elf the guy. Elf. I yeah, don't know what it his might name be a good is. shooter. I mean, I don't know. It's small. It's probably okay. had to hone Another its game Another good guy in, in I shooting. had down for coach. That if I if I was gonna play Colonel on the floor, Burger King was gonna be my coach. So I actually think the King could be a viable option on the wing. Okay. Okay. He's, got he's probably not great. Probably not a great shooter though. Maybe. He's a king. You know, like maybe that does make him a good. He shooter. He could just be a good basketball. He could just be a baller. You know, 
Okay, I think you've talked me into it. I'm gonna take the king, okay. Burger King, as my as my guard. Okay, actually, what I think I'm gonna do is, I think I'm gonna put the Tricks Rabbit as my two and play Burger King as my three. Yeah, I think that's smart. Because uh, Tricks Rabbit's not has, doesn't have as much size. The king's got to be at least six five six six, right? You would think. I mean, he's a king. I would think so. Yeah, I think he's got good size in there. I honestly thought he could have even played power forward in the okay. right system. So okay. I, I think that's good for you. Okay, so I have one last pick. I have my head coach. Okay. I'm going to go with the analytics selection here. <laughs> okay. Count Chocula. Count Chocula. Ah, I saw be him on big I, into analytics. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So here's my head coach. So here are the teams. <laughs> your head coach is the Colonel from KFC. Hamburglar is your point guard. The Tricks Rabbit, your shooting guard. The King is your uh, kind of three man. Tony the Tiger is playing power forward, and Grimace is playing center. My head coach is Count Chocula. I have Lucky the Leprechaun at point guard. Lefty from Hamburger Helper at shooting guard. Chester Cheetah is my three. The Jolly Green Giant is my four. And the Raisin Bran Sun is my five. <laughs> I think I dominated this draft, mainly no, because what? of my two big men. You were no, not I, scoring inside. I'm scoring so easily inside. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I mean, I feel like you're totally discounting Grimace here. Well, you you're can't also move discounting it. that the Raisin Bran Sun, besides being a sun and being gigantic, he specializes in scoops. He has two scoops in his hand, so he's going to be good at scoop shots. He's got an extra skill to his game. But you're not going to be able to move Grimace in the paint, is my point. I, I think a sun and can I think, move And Grimace. I think you're Grimace. also really underestimating the, the strength of Tony the Tiger here. Mm. But I mean, against Tony the, the Tiger, Giants? Against the Jolly Green Giants? He can, I don't he think can, it matters. On defense, he'll be fine. And I think he's mm. got enough hops. He's a Tiger. Mm. Again, see, again, a Tiger, he can lead. Is he Tigger? No, he, Tigers can jump. Bounces on his tail? Tigers no, can jump. I don't think so. I think this is going to be an I easy I definitely think I've dominated in the two and three spots. That's I think, fine. I think the King pretty, pretty much clowns on Chester Cheetah mm. all day long. And I like the Tricks Rabbit matchup against Lefty the Ham because if Lefty is a spot up shooter, the Tricks Rabbit's got some great hops, great defense. He can get his hand up and really make those. Make but it I also have luck on my to, side to shoot that. Forget that. And then obviously, I think I, in my opinion, the Hamburglar cancels out the luck because he's just going to steal everything. Mm. So I think my I also, team. I, I, so I, I think with Tricks Rabbit plus dude, the Chester Hamburglar, Cheetah's running by the King every time. It's a <laughs> cheetah on a human. What are you going to do about okay, that? Okay, but I do think the combination of the Hamburglar plus Tricks Rabbit. I'm gonna get a lot of pickpockets and a lot of fast break opportunities. Mm. Okay. And, and you know to score quickly. Okay. You know, I mean, think about the hamburger alley ooping the tricks rabbit. <laughs> I mean, that's that's unbeatable. All you right. can't beat that. Uh, any honorable mention one? Any ones that you wanted to bring up that you thought about here? I I thought the sour um, patch kid was no. a interesting one in the nobody same picked vein. Ronald McDonald by the way. No, I don't know what he plays. I, I thought I mean, sour I patch kid like was four. actually an interesting one from like a. A Patrick Beverly role where he just like he's just annoying. He just makes people mad, right? <laughs> uh, I thought the Arby's oven met. If if you wanted to go uh, the other way with that one, yeah. Uh, you mentioned the Vlasic Stork. I brought up Mr. Peanut also. How about Charles Entertainment Cheese, aka Chucky e. Cheese? He's a big <laughs> rabbit. He could have played center for yeah. you, yeah, or not yeah. rabbit mouse. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Jack in the Box, like he could have played a, a myriad of different positions. Yeah, Wendy. We didn't. But Wendy, again, Wendy. I don't like, know where she plays. I guess she's a shooting guard. I don't. I really guess. Know. Yeah, I that, might, that might have been a good one. Toucan um, Sam from Fruit Loops. Yeah, that, that I just didn't know where you? he would. Play. I thought head coaches. There were a lot of good ones. Planners, Peanut, Chef Boyardee. He's oh, used yes, to putting yes. stuff together. Chef Boyardee. Right? I, that was the right mix. Coach that I was thinking about. Uh, here, uh, by the way, I, I learned something in doing my draft board. Did you know <laughs> Captain Crunch, who I thought about as a head coaching position? His real name is Horatio Magellan. <laughs> but he goes by Captain Crunch. His official name. I did have one. I never do this, but I thought um, uh, the Laughing Cow would have been good for fans. 
Mm. You have a bunch of laughing cows in the <laughs> arena, just laughing at people when they. What mess about up. The, the Honda Nut Cheerios B? That do anything for you? Um, I just don't know where it plays. It's a I mean, bee. I, he's got to be your point guard, I would think. And I, I mean, guess. if he can sting you, he's probably good at. He can probably. Is that a foul? No, he can steal the ball. You know, by stinging you and what? Is he big so, enough to even hold the ball? I, I don't know. He can dribble at least. Probably not. Uh, I, uh, I don't I'll, know. I'll then, put up the uh, results. You can vote on who won at RCST thirteen twenty. Um, we'll you be didn't, you didn't want account. the Gerber baby? No, definitely not. Or wait, no, what about the Chick Fil A cow? Again, what are you doing with the cow? <laughs> it's just a hurdle at that <laughs> point. He's your four, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> okay, I, I, have, I have no idea. All right, he's Dick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. That's our basketball draft of food mascots. Jayhawk football rewind coming up next. Two hours down, one to go. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. And uh, it's time for another edition of our Jayhawk Football Rewind. This week, we move on to the KU at Houston game, which ended up in a KU 48-30 to win. Um, a lot to unpack. For yeah, a lot to unpack. So KU entered a 2-0. Houston was 1-1. Kansas had just beaten West Virginia. And it was kind of uh, this game was the idea that, you know, if, if you lose this game, the West Virginia game was just going to be kind of a nice, like, okay, you proved you can get the occasional win. Yeah, but it wasn't going to be a consistent versus yeah. if you did win this game, it felt like the talk of possibly going to a bowl game would feel real. Yeah, well, and remember the narrative about Houston going into this year was that they could be yeah. a double-digit 10-11 win team. They had aspirations for a New Year's Six Bowl. Like for Houston, they thought they were going to be a really, really good team, and so they had just lost in triple overtime to Texas Tech the week before. So it was a sense of... Right before that, they beat UTSA in like double overtime yeah, and ended yeah, up being exactly. a really good team. Yeah, exactly. So so it kind of ended up being this idea of, well, if you're KU and you can maybe kind of hang with Houston and, you know, or maybe not necessarily beat them, but just hang with them, it's like, well, that maybe kind of puts you in the same discussion as like the Texas Tech of the world, which is, you know, maybe yeah. a four or five win team, right? And obviously if you get the win, like you said, then maybe you start to really dream about the possibility of going to a bowl. Yeah. So there there was certainly a lot kind of going on going into this game. And then obviously with the start, it was a disastrous start for KU, if you remember right. They go down 14-0. Uh, it was just really, really rough. Houston has, uh, they had a, I can't remember the name of the kid, the DN that they had, who was very dominant. Um, and then they had obviously Brooks Clayton. or something. I don't know. Yeah, De- De- what Devin Brooks? That's not right. Maybe you were thinking of Dylan Brooks, the guy who just transferred in. Um, <laughs> no, that's not right. It was I don't remember what his name. Derek Parrish. Derek Parrish. Okay, yeah. so I had the Derek part right. right. Derek Parrish. So you know there was concerns about was he gonna was he gonna wreck the game for KU? Could they could they stop the Houston D line? Yeah, and the Clayton Tune possible revenge yes, game sort of. Yes, I don't know. If, yes, you know. and so and then obviously the start you go down fourteen nothing and yeah. you're down in the dumps. And, you know, I, I don't know uh, how much you felt this during the game, but obviously you had a bad start against West Virginia and you were able to come back. So there was just kind of this thought of, okay, well, you know, another crap start, but maybe we can survive it again. Uh, and then, then you get the long drive for KU and they go down and they have like a, I think it's like what, th- third and goal maybe? Or they have, they have a goal to go situation. Right, and they're down 14-0. Third and 10 at the Houston 12. Okay, yeah. So third and 10 at the Houston 12. KU's got it. They've had a great drive. They've had a long drive where you're confident they're going to get some momentum. And boom, literally and metaphorically, lightning strikes. <laughs> Game paused. And you're just, from the KU perspective, it was just incredibly deflating. Because, like you said, KU got was getting obliterated early. 
it finally felt like they had gotten up off the mat. They responded. They were having. They were on, in the midst of a long drive, and then lo and behold, the weather comes in to kill the Jacks' momentum. So we thought. So the game was delayed for over an hour. I think it was a while. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it was two hours, but it was definitely over an hour. It was a long delay. Enough of a delay to where you were thinking, well, crap, whatever KU had going, had cooking, you know, on that last drive before, they're probably screwed. Right. But they come like, back you out. felt like you needed a touchdown, too. Yes. But they come back out, and I, they did score. They, they did not score. They ended up, it was a Jalen yeah. Daniels rushing touchdown on the yeah. very next play on the third and 10 from the 12th. So KU did, in the end, they had time to kind of talk about what they wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah, so that and that kind of got things going for KU. Yeah, sort then of. they got the interception from Kenny Logan. They yeah. score on the very next play. Yeah. Um, then Houston punts. They score again. Ten play, eighty four yard drive. I mean, all, all yeah, of a sudden what, they're up twenty eight fourteen exactly, at halftime. This, this was the span of where it was like over the span of like twelve minutes of game time. They put up twenty eight and and took the lead. And right. then you and now it's like the first quarter down fourteen zero. That's all a thing of the past. You are cooking. You're feeling good. And then they just kind of cruise in the second half, right? Yeah, yeah. Houston made a 28-21 first drive touchdown in the second half, but then KU just responds. 10-play, 75-yard drive. And that was kind of, I think, the gut punch to Houston to be like, oh, this is going to be tough to come back. We can't stop them. Houston fumbles. KU scores again. Now it's 42-21. Eventually gets to 45-30, but KU gets a field goal to put it out of play. And they win the game 48-30. to They just kind of pull away, and they move to 3-0. and And yeah, at yeah. that time when they won that game to move to 3-0, and it did feel like, okay, Let's start having real conversations about this team making a bowl game. Yes, absolutely, because I think both West Virginia and certainly Houston in the preseason, the West Virginia game, probably even the most optimistic KU fans were thinking, uh, okay, they might have a chance. And then I think the Houston game was pretty much written off as a loss, partly because Houston was getting so much hype yeah. in the preseason. I mean, again, this was a Houston team that internally they were expecting to be a New Year's 16. They were expecting to be the American champions. They were expecting to win 10, 11 games. And so I think from the KU standpoint, you just kind of write that wrote that off as a loss, right? You're going, you're gonna, we were gonna be going on the road again against a, you know, at a top twenty five opponent, top twenty opponent that has those expectations. So okay, you just write it off. But now here you are, you're three zero, and again those those bowl game conversations, like you said, became a bit more legitimate. Yeah, and looking back at the stats from that game. Uh, the yards were pretty similar. Both teams were really good on third and fourth down. KU only had 158 passing yards. They just didn't really need to pass. Kansas ran for 280 yards. They had 43 carries. They averaged six and a half yards per per attempt. And they were just a much more clean team. And I think that was kind of a theme. Like if we're looking at yeah. something that was hindsight 2020 goggles, um, a theme of when Kansas was playing disciplined, clean football. So avoiding penalties, avoiding turnovers, they tended to do well. They had two penalties for 25 yards. Houston had 10 penalties for 73 yards. Kansas had zero turnovers. Houston had two. When you were able to do those things and let your talent just speak for itself, that's when you ended up being the best, and and that was the case in this game. Yeah, and Houston had uh, Nathaniel Dell, who was the receiver. I think he still ended up putting up close to 100 yards receiving. Six catches for 76 yards and a carry for three. Yeah, so they kind of shut him down. I mean, that was the guy that was talked about as an All-American caliber receiver that KU was able to sort of manage. And if you remember... Coming off of the West Virginia game, that was the real concern. I mean, Bryce Ford Wheaton just goes absolutely nuts. Now you're going to face another receiver who is looked at as being, uh, you know, an upper echelon type receiver in the in the in the country. And he, you know, he got his a little bit right, but he didn't take the game over. He didn't blow up the game like Bryce Ford Wheaton did, which was certainly a step in the positive direction from what we saw uh, from the West Virginia game. And then the Kobe Bryant thing. 
Would you say this is the game, or maybe West Virginia? I don't know. What, at what what game was it like? What game did you think afterwards? Kobe Bryant is a dude. Honestly, West Virginia? For me, that might have been Iowa Houston? State. Honestly, Iowa State. Okay. I mean, West Virginia is the game clinching pick. I was, I'm trying to think back of like what my thoughts were on it. Like I don't really remember the exact moment where I was like, okay, Kobe Bryant's a game breaking. I, I think player. for me it was Iowa State because maybe. you know obviously he had the pick six against West Virginia. Yeah. He had the fumble return for touchdown in the first game. He gets another interception against Houston. No, he didn't have a pick against. Oh, he didn't have. It was Kenny Logan. Yeah. Oh, Kenny Logan. Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry. Um, but yeah, but it's still like, was this? At what point? I was just thinking about that. I just talked in my head. At what point did you? Yeah. Sort no, of I, I remember being being the Iowa State. Game. I remember him having a great Texas Tech game though too. But yeah, the Iowa State was the one for me. Uh, as far as other guys who did step up, I mean, the pass rush did get there. Four sacks, six tackles for loss. That was an inconsistent all year long. Like, yeah, if you remember, Clayton Tune was scrambling yeah. a lot, which and it was, was four different guys. Yeah, which Clayton Tune was scrambling a lot, which was. I thought my takeaway from it was more indicative of the secondary doing mm-hmm. a great job more of than the pass rush getting to him a lot. But the pass rush did end up producing, at least on the in the stat sheet. As good as Jalen Daniels was in the first two games of the season, the first one was an FCS game. The second one, it was kind of more low volume with um, some of the stuff that he did, or, or it wasn't as much of him running the ball, I guess. This was a game where you really saw the dual threat nature. Like I guess this was the game that I think I learned the most about what Jalen Daniels was as a runner. You know, we, we knew that Jalen could be a good scrambler. We knew that he could pick up the occasional. This was the first time where you saw him be like the the talk that we heard about him basically having the vision of a running back. Yeah. He had yeah. 12 carries for 123 yards and two touchdowns to go with him going 14 of 23 for 158, three touchdowns. He had five total touchdowns in the game. Really good in the air. Really good on the ground. Really good on third down. Really good in key moments. It just kind of added to the idea of this guy being a real dude. Yes, Absolutely. And then I think the biggest takeaway for me that was really solidified going back to the West Virginia game too was the resiliency of KU, mm-hmm. right? I we I know we talked about it a lot as this was happening, but how many times in previous iterations of KU football did you see KU get down early by double digits, you know, in the first quarter or early in the second quarter and they just fold. They just collapsed and there was no coming back from that, right? Like you know, in in previous iterations of KU football once it, once it was 14 nothing with like three minutes left in the first quarter, I'm sure a lot of KU fans were like, well, this game's done. I'm mm-hmm. going to turn it off and go sit on the back porch and enjoy whatever, right? And literally anything else. So, th- but this was the game, Houston, that really truly solidified. Obviously, you saw it against West Virginia, but the Houston game made clear that it wasn't a one-off. It wasn't a one-time thing where KU was able to bounce back. This, it was clear that this was something that was now integrated into the program based off Lance Leipold, based off the players, that no matter what the score was, they weren't going to give up on a game. They weren't going to quit on a game. And that remained true for pretty much every game, except for Texas, probably, <laughs> uh, which that was just a t- that was just a tough one. But but that that remained true throughout the season. So I don't know if you want to put that in hindsight 2020 goggles, too, of like the idea of the resiliency of this team and how, and how important it was, because you see it, you saw it against West Virginia, you saw it again against Houston, and like I said, it, it pretty much remained true for every game the rest of the season besides the Texas game, that this team never quit. They didn't give up. I mean, think about the deficits they faced. Look at the Baylor game. Never gave up on that one. Even the Oklahoma game, you know, they never really, they never gave up on that one. They still kept fighting in that game too. Uh, Texas Tech, another one. So this became a overarching theme of K football was that they were no longer just going to lie down and let teams with superior talent completely trample them, with the exception of Texas. Sure. But but you you get the idea. 
Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I think looking back too, it, it shows the balance of both Jalen Daniels throwing to different receivers and the balance of the receivers. Uh, there were only two receivers who caught multiple passes. Luke Grimm caught two for six with the touchdown. Lawrence Arnold caught three for 24. Everybody else, which there were, I guess like that makes nine other people. So 11 people in total caught a pass. The other nine caught one pass each. And only Trevor Cardell had 17 yards. That was third on the team for the game. The leading receiver was Tory Lachlan, who caught a 60-yard touchdown pass. Um, so it just showed the balance of the receivers. But honestly, my biggest takeaway from that game might be Andy Kolonicki. I mean, Andy Kolonicki was great in the first two weeks. He was great against West Virginia. But this was the game where he started, do I think, really go deep into his bag? If you remember, the Tory Lachlan touchdown was on kind of like a... So I I don't know if I'd quite call it a trick play. Like it was still Jalen Daniels throwing to Tory Lockett. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember. But there was but a lot was, of like misdirection. It, it was blown coverage. Yes, yeah. and and he was just able to leak through. There was also the play where they had uh, I think it was Jared Casey ended up catching the pass, but I don't remember for sure. It might have been a third or a fourth down where they did like a couple like uh, pitches to different guys, and then it ended up in the hands of somebody who threw to Jared Casey for like a big first down. Um, there were a couple other plays in that game. The, the coming out of the locker room after the weather delay and converting yeah. the uh, the third and ten for a touchdown. This was the game for me where it was like KU has something special with their offensive coordinator. Okay, so things that didn't really come to fruition that much. The Houston running game was pretty effective against KU. Had 174 yards, so maybe after the West Virginia game you're feeling a little better. They averaged 4.5 yards per yeah. carry against KU. But so. see, I remember a lot of that coming on Clayton Toon's scrambles. Yeah, he ended up with Clayton Toon ended up with 63 yards. Yeah. And so, like, I don't remember the running game being the running defense being bad in that no, game. Like, I don't remember I don't it think being it was elite that either. bad either. But no, obviously that, that ended up being a problem for them in the latter half yes. of the season. So yes. that didn't totally hold up. Yes. Um I guess I mean the fumbling that, the fumbling issue that, yeah, that, that came back about up them because they didn't it didn't it didn't hurt them in Houston at Houston at all I don't think right right I do think they fumbled I think it was again yeah they uh, they had two fumbles that they recovered Jalen fumbled once Highshaw fumbled once and okay. they recovered both so okay. again that's that's something that ended so that, up that did end up coming them, back yeah right yeah and then uh, I I think something else that we learned I mean if you remember because you brought up Derek Parrish and what that was going to be like defending this Houston team that was, I, I think they had a nickname for themselves. It was like Sack Avenue or something like yeah. that, wasn't it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I think they had a big game against Texas Tech. They did. And they, yeah. they were, yeah, they were just a really good sack team, I think, really all year long. KU held them to zero sacks. And that ended up being something where, yeah, the KU offensive line was maybe a little inconsistent in run blocking. Like if it was just a standard run play, they didn't always get a big surge. But in pass blocking, the KU pass blocking unit was fantastic all year long. How many times did you have, whether it was Jalen Daniels or Jason Bean, them just sitting in the pocket, jumping up and down for five, seven seconds before they unleashed one downfield? You gave up zero sacks to Houston. That ended up being something where it was like, looking back, we should have maybe paid more attention to that. Like I, I remember we gave good notice to it, but yeah. that how like good of an offensive line was going to be. Honestly, though, in terms of like things that ended up happening that didn't end up coming to fruition, though, I, I don't think there's a lot that happened this in this game. game. Yeah. 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 Like maybe, I don't know, I, I guess even in this game, like Devin Neal and Daniel Hyshaw both had a majority of the carries again. Like that ended yeah. up being something that, that uh, kind of happened there. Um, I guess maybe on the flip side of that, like, Kai Thomas only had two carries in the game. I would say at this stage of the season, we were probably still expecting him to have a bigger role. Mm-hmm. And that obviously didn't come to fruition. I mean, I guess you could say the defense, they gave up those early 14 points, then they gave up 16 the rest of the way. You could say the defense played pretty well, and that obviously was an inconsistent as the season went on. 
But I mean, honestly, there were more, I think, positive takeaways than there were things that happened that didn't end up coming to fruition. Yes, I agree with that. Yeah. There was a lot of positivity coming out of this game. You come back, you, you know, you smack Houston in the face and go to- up 28-14 after being down. And then you really just kind of control the game from, from the, to the, to the end of the second half, right? I mean, I, I Houston, like you said, they got it back to a seven-point game, but KU was unstoppable, and they were able to just really use that to their advantage and coast to a, a fairly comfortable win. Last piece here. Did this teach us anything for 2023? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think maybe this game uh, is could be potentially a window into the past of maybe what Andy Kolnicki wants the offense to look like more often this season. When it comes to running more option, triple option type plays, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I don't for, know if that's the direction me, they want to go this year. Well, I think this actually has repercussions on the new Big 12. Houston's joining the Big 12, and it showed that you can be better than a team definitively on the road yeah. who's joining the new conference. That is true, actually. Right? I, I think it has something to do with that, that you know, you're, you're trying to be above certain programs and, and to— you know, that day and that date and that game, you were ahead of the Houston program. And also Houston didn't have a lot of fans in attendance. Like, it's not like they were getting a ton of crowd support. Like, yeah. you could put yourself ahead of them on program rankings. And I think that's what that taught me for 2023. I don't I don't think it taught me anything in terms of, you know, lessons about yeah. Yeah. Uh, what to expect for this year or anything. But yeah. right, that was our Jayhawk Rewind. I'm trying to think what the next game would be Duke, right? Duke, so we'll do yes. that one next Thursday. Duke at home. All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Got some Bill Self audio. Share that with you next on RCST.